The scripture reading tonight comes from Philippians 2, 19 through 30. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope therefore to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send you to Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need, for he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. This is the word of the Lord. Okay, so as you just heard, this passage is an interesting passage to preach on. At first, you might think, like, what, what is there in this for me? Because this is kind of like a travel log of specific things that were happening with specific people a long time ago. Um, but this is in God's Word, and, and He has something for us um, tonight. So I'm going to pray that He would give that to us. Father, thank you for your promise that uh, your word is powerful, that your word is eternal, and that your word, uh, when it is spoken, when it is preached, when it is sung, when it is prayed, it never returns void, you say. Um, it, it accomplishes the purposes for which you sent it. And so, Lord, I pray that uh, your word would accomplish its purposes in our midst tonight in this body, that you would open our ears, open our hearts, open our eyes and our minds to see you, to know you. Lord, may we experience your presence here as we hear from you. Uh, Lord, would you speak uh, through this broken vessel uh, your perfect word to us to give us life? And we ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, okay, so this is, this is a fun way to start here. Um, someone forwarded me an article this week about a woman from Georgia who I believe this past Halloween married herself. Okay? So it says... Uh, and, and if this is your sister, then please don't take offense at what, what I'm about to say. She said that it was the best decision she ever made. Uh, it was about saying yes to her desires. She was worried that her friends and family might think it was a little narcissistic. She asked them to come and travel and bring gifts. So, uh, but it wasn't. Don't, don't worry, it wasn't. She said it was just about putting myself first. It was not narcissistic at all. She made vows to herself. So like the actual ceremony, she made vows to herself. She wept as she made these vows to herself. Um, she accepted her own wedding ring. And someone brought out a mirror and she kissed herself in the mirror. Dead serious. There was a picture in the article. She said it was a great reminder to trust her own judgment and put her happiness first every day. And she said, to marry yourself, you really don't even have to be single. She said, I would have married myself even if I were still in a relationship. Oh, yes, I'm sure you would have. And I'm sure uh, 
your partner would be very aware of that as well. Um, why, why do I share this? One, it's funny and crazy. Two, because what we're talking about tonight is, is we've been studying this letter to the Philippians that Paul wrote. Um, we talk about how we, we just believe that happiness, joy is going to come through gaining more, gaining more things, gaining more significance, gaining, gaining, gaining. And Paul says, no, no, no. Jesus was right. Actually, happiness, joy is found in losing, is divesting yourself of things to pick up something new in Christ. And so this sermon is entitled, The Joy of Losing Your Autonomy. And, you know, it's so easy for me, for us to hear that story and laugh and think that she is ridiculous. And then I think, you know what, I didn't have a formal ceremony, but I'm pretty sure I'm married to myself in a lot of ways that she is too. Um, that there's a lot about my happiness that is supreme. Um, there's a lot about putting myself first. There's a lot about making vows to myself. And uh, I haven't kissed myself in a mirror yet, but that's not even out of the question. Because we, you and I are now predisposed to live life this way. And to think that, that the greatest impediment to my happiness, the greatest impediment to my joy is other people and problems that happen out in the world. Um, autonomy, it's like when I, when I hear that, it, it means self-governing, but I think autonomy is, just means automatically me. Just in everything, like what do I want? What, how am I going to get what I want? How am I going to be safe? How am I going to be okay? How am I going to be fulfilled? Me, 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 all the time. And in this passage, um, Paul is saying, uh, by implication of what he's saying about these men that he's talking about, he is saying by implication that to live this way is really common. It's really common in relationships. It's common in community. And he says here that's even common among those who follow Jesus. Like when he's talking about Timothy, he says, I have no one else like him who will put the interests of Christ above the interests of themselves. He says, for they all seek their own interests above those of Jesus. Um, I was listening to a, a, the City of Angels song by Head in the Heart this week, and there's a line in there that just kept echoing when I was thinking about this, like living a life of autonomy. It says, um, and what that, what that means and breeds in community. Uh, it says, I found a lot of love in this town everywhere I go but it never seems to stay and it never seems to grow. It's like we've just got this shallow ceiling. Like we found ways to interact with each other where the world doesn't think we're total jerks. But it's like I do just enough to kind of make you think I'm a good person or make you like me or make you think that I care about you. But it's a whole lot of what Dave Burden calls like a for me, for you, a for you, for me. Like, yeah, yeah, this is for you, for me. Um, but if you dig a little bit, it's like, Nashville soil, which is like very thin and then just rock. Um, and so this is what Paul is speaking into. And this is what Jesus is speaking into for us tonight. Jesus wants to give us something in this passage. Um, Jesus wants to give us the gift of losing our autonomy. And there's two ways in which he wants us to lose our autonomy. The first is welcoming others into my life for Jesus sake. Okay, so you look at this passage, and we're going to start with Timothy, but these, these men, Timothy and Epaphroditus, um, these sound like amazing men. When, when Paul is talking about Timothy, he says in verse 19, 
Timothy is going to travel from Rome where he is imprisoned because Timothy is with Paul as he's in prison in Rome to Philippi uh, to see how they're doing. That is about the length of the United States. That's like going from the Carolinas to California on foot. There was a way to do it by sea, which shaved a little bit of time, but this was like a months long journey. And it was very dangerous because there was all sorts of stuff that could go wrong. And he was coming just to be with these people, just to see them face to face and be with them and bring news of them to Paul. Um, that word news is personal experiential knowledge. Like he is going to see them in person because it really matters to see how they're really doing. This isn't like um, just a quick check in like, hey, you good? Yeah, okay, great, thanks. Like in order to really see how somebody's doing, like you've got to be there. You've got to look in their eyes, spend time with them, be face to face with them. And Paul says in verse 20, I have no one else like him. I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. This, this man who, you know, in some respects, like Paul and Timothy barely know the Philippians. Like they haven't spent a lot of time with them. They've only known them for at most a few months. And they are going to travel and have traveled across miles and miles, thousands of miles to be with these people and go be with them again because their chief concern is their welfare. And so Paul's drawing this connection that Timothy is seeking, he genuinely cares about their welfare. And he says he is seeking the interests of Jesus Christ. And so we have to stop and ask this question, what, what is Jesus interested in? What is Jesus seeking? What is Timothy seeking that Jesus is seeking? And, and what Jesus is seeking is the kingdom of God. And I'm going to explain what that means. But Matthew 13, 45 and 46, Jesus says this. Again, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, that same word, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. And when Jesus tells that parable and says the kingdom of God is like this, it's actually a dual meaning. The merchant who is searching for a valuable pearl and finds it and goes and sells everything he has to get it is both God who sells everything. Jesus gives everything so that he could be with us. And it's man. It's saying that you, when you see this Jesus, you go and you sell everything else. Nothing else matters. It all pales in comparison to him. And so it's this mutual finding of one another uh, of this, this person of great value, this thing of great value. Jesus says in Matthew 6, this call to all of us to seek the kingdom of God. Like, this is what you're looking for. And then he says what he was seeking in another place, I came to seek and save the lost. So this idea of the kingdom of God is like this perfect, intimate union between God and man that Jesus came to make possible where man fully flourishes and is experiencing abundant life the way that he was created for, connected with God. And God is totally glorified because we see what kind of God he is, that he wants man's intimate connection and fellowship and man's flourishing. And so this is the kingdom of heaven, is God and man united in perfection in Jesus. And so when Paul says Timothy is coming to see about your welfare and seeking the interests of Christ, he's saying this is something that he can't get in a letter. 
He's got to come and see you face to face and live among you and see, do you really believe the gospel? Like, are the power and love and presence of Jesus Christ in you having any change, any impact on your life? Because if not, like, that's why I'm here. I want to make sure that, that this is happening because something's wrong. Because when, when the power of God and the love of God come into your life through Jesus, it should change everything. And there's an enemy out there who doesn't want that to happen. And so I'm coming, I'm fighting for you. You know, he calls later Epaphroditus his fellow soldier. Like we are in a war and I'm fighting for your hearts. I'm fighting for your life. I'm fighting for your, your well-being. And I will walk across this country. I will walk across this continent. That's how much it matters to me. That's how much it matters to God. And so Timothy is going to see them face to face because he loves them and because Jesus loves them. And then Paul turns and talks about Epaphroditus. This is one of the Philippians. This is somebody who's come to faith in this new young church in Philippi, and the gospel has transformed his life, is continuing to transform his life. And when they find out in Philippi that Paul is in jail in Rome, they're like, we want to continue to care for you. We're not giving up on you. And so we is even though we are so far away from you, we are going to send you what you need, and we're just going to send encouragement by way of a person, by way of a fellow brother in Christ who is going to come and just be present with you. When you all experience hard times, you know the value of someone just being with you without even saying anything or bringing anything. And so this man, Epaphroditus, is, is selected somehow. <laughs> I don't know. It would be interesting to see how that went down, but... He travels across all these thousands of miles to just be with Paul in prison, risking his life. That word risk is a gambling term. And so what Paul is saying here is that this man knowingly wagered his life for the sake of what is interesting to Jesus. He's saying, you know what? I know this is a young man's game. This is a very dangerous journey. We know that Epaphroditus was young because an old man wouldn't have been able to make this journey. And he knew setting out that this was going to be months out of his life. And he said, you know what? I might die. And this is worth it. This is worth it. And Paul says, yes. Like, he gets it. He is getting it. And so then he, he tells the Philippians that he's going to send this man back because he is just so concerned. The very man that was there to help Paul, Paul saying, man, I've got to send him back because he loves you so much. He loves you so much. He loved me so much that he came out here. He loves you so much that he is sick. He is just torn up because you heard that he was ill and he almost died because of this trip that he made. And I've got to send him back because he's anxious for you. He's worried that you're worried about him. He's not even thinking about himself. I'm not thinking about myself in prison. He's not thinking about himself and his sickness. And I'm like, I got to get this guy back because he is heart sick for these people. He loves them so much. And so he says, honor this man. Treat him with great value when he comes back to him. Receive him with great joy. And so the implication here for us is that you and I need these kind of men and women in our lives. Like, you and I cannot get through, not even the Apostle Paul can get through this life without people, fellow brothers and sisters, ministering to him 
and coming and being with him. And so he is saying, you need men and women like this in your life, so value them. Ask God for them. Ask God, if you don't have men and women like that in your life, ask him to give you men and women like this. And when you see them show up, rejoice. Don't run from them. <laughs> like, be so thankful and rejoice so much that God has loved you so much that he would send you people like this who would be genuinely interested in your welfare, that would not just accept the cursory, like, oh, yeah, I'm fine, but people who really need to know because they love you so much, how are you? Are you living out of the freedom and truth of the gospel? And if not, this is not for judgment. This is because I love you and I want to see that happen. You know, there are people like this, uh, like these two men in our midst here. And he talks about Timothy having um, proven worth, that he was like battle tested. He's not some geek off the street. Like Timothy is battle tested, loving people, loving Jesus, walking into danger, walking into hard things. And we have men and women in our midst who are like this. God loves us and he has blessed us with brothers and sisters who are already at this place of maturity. We are all still growing. We are all still maturing. But there are men and women in our midst who in the young life of this congregation, we have already walked together into some really hard things. I have had these men and women come with me and pray over people who were potentially at death's doorstep. I've had these men and women sit in counseling sessions with me. I've had just so many moments that the Lord has made so clear to me like, hey, I love you and I love Midtown West because I brought you these men and women. They're like the, they're like the special ops of our body that there, there are just things that happen that you're never gonna see on the news. And it's because these men and women are in the trenches taking arrows so that you never have to know that that existed. And so that the men and women that they're taking arrows for uh, don't have to stay in that place. And so again, pray, pray, pray for God to send people like that into our midst and to send people like that into your life. And know this though, it is not going to be painless. It is gonna be really easy to see these people uh, and want to run the other direction because there's some fear. And the underlying fear is um, they're actually here representing someone else. They're actually here representing Jesus. So when Paul says receive, welcome with hospitality these people into your life, what he's really saying is you are receiving Jesus. You need to let these people in because Without letting these people in, you are not receiving Jesus. You are not welcoming Jesus into your life with hospitality because it is impossible. It's not hard. It's impossible to really walk with Jesus and let him in to the deepest, darkest places of your life and not allow any other human being, not allow any other brother or sister in Christ to go anywhere in there. I'm 39 years old. That's not that old, okay? But in 39 years, I've never seen, never, never, never seen anyone who is really walking with Jesus and hearing from him who will not let in another brother or sister in Christ. 
Psalm 1912 says, who can discern his errors? I can read a thousand spiritual books. I can listen to a thousand sermons. I can listen to a thousand podcasts from the greatest teachers in the world. But if I do not let in another human into my actual life, I'm just going to filter all of that right out because I love my autonomy. I'm going to say, wow, that was, man, that guy's an amazing preacher. That theologian is so smart. Did you hear that part? That was so cool. And I'm going to underline it. I'm going to highlight it. And I'm going to be the exact same guy I was before I read that book. Because that is God's program. we, We cannot grow. We cannot mature apart from this body. That's why we hammer on this all the time at Midtown West is like we are going nowhere without each other. That's why we put all, yeah, that's why Midtown puts all its chips in on groups. That's why we talk about one-on-one discipleship all the time. You know, all these things that we tend to think are our main problems, like Paul would think, oh, being in prison is a big deal. And Epaphroditus would think, uh, this illness that's about to lead to death is a big deal. Um, whether it's COVID or the government or racism in America or your spouse or your employer or whatever, none of those things are our biggest problem. They just expose our biggest problem, which is us, which is our autonomy. And a biblical word for autonomy is flesh. Paul says in Romans 7, 18, for I know that nothing good dwells in my flesh. And he says in Galatians, the desires of the flesh, those desires of that autonomy are against the desires of the spirit. So there is still this part of us that Jesus is maturing us out of, but we are still in this body of flesh that loves and is so used to autonomy. And that's why when men and women of great value show up in our lives, a lot of times we run the other way because we're afraid of Jesus, because we're afraid of losing our autonomy. And Jesus is saying, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be afraid because these men are a picture of what Jesus is like. The God of the universe is no longer has to be terrifying to you because look at who he is. I mean, Paul says there's no one like Timothy. There is no one like Jesus who genuinely cares for your well-being. There's no one like him who would lay down everything and come and set you free with his own suffering and death. You know, Paul talks about how valuable Epaphroditus is. You should honor this man because he risked his life and walked across a continent for you. Jesus didn't risk his life. Jesus knew from the start what was going down. This is not a risk. I know it's a loss. I know that I'm walking into suffering and death, and I didn't just walk across a continent. I walked across dimensions. I put on flesh and became part of the creation to bring us to life, to rescue us, to to care about our welfare and not just care about it, but have the power to do something about it. So God is, is very intent on us letting, welcoming in uh, these brothers and sisters because we're really welcoming in Jesus. And so that's the first way that he wants us to lose our autonomy. The second is to give ourselves for the lives of others for Jesus' sake. Um, All three of these men, Paul, 
Epaphroditus, Timothy, we know enough about Paul. We know that he basically, I mean, he's discipling Timothy for sure. He has a very long and deep relationship with Timothy. But I mean, everything that Epaphroditus knows ultimately came from Paul too, because Paul's the one that taught and planted this church. So these men are just learning from Paul. And Paul is learning from Jesus. But all three of these men could not be more different. They were different ethnicities. They were different nationalities. They were different religions before they came to faith in Christ. They're different ages, different generations. But all of them are becoming more and more similar. They're all being changed by this love of, of this God. And now all their lives, I mean, I feel like you know, as we read through Philippians and we read about these guys, we read about Paul, they're all starting to blend together and look alike. They're laying themselves down for the sake of others because of Christ. And elsewhere, Paul says, uh, 1 Corinthians 11, 1, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. And, and remember just a few verses earlier, uh, the beginning of chapter 2, it says, Jesus emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. And guess what? You and I, like Paul and Timothy and Epaphroditus, we are all becoming like Jesus. That it, that's what's happening. That's what it is to follow Christ. That's what it is for the Holy Spirit to come and live inside of us is he is making us like Jesus. 1 John 3, 2 says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when Jesus appears, when he comes back, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he really is. So that's where this train is headed. We are losing our autonomy so that Jesus can give himself to us through each other. Ephesians 4, um, that's, if you want to bookmark Ephesians 4 and go back and read through that this week, that'd be a very worthy uh, related piece of scripture to go back and meditate on. Because in Ephesians 4, um, Paul tells us that Jesus has given different gifts of himself to every single person who's in Christ. He has given them, it's called a manifestation of his spirit. The spirit of Jesus now lives in everyone who is, is trusting in Jesus. The Holy Spirit lives in us, and it's not the whole thing. It's just a, a one little piece. It's like we're all a little Lego brick in this creation. We just celebrated a birthday, and our boys, two birthdays actually, in the last couple weeks, and both boys got Lego sets. And like, we as a body are a Lego set, um, and you and I are different shaped bricks, and we are being put together to make something beautiful and amazing. And that beautiful and amazing thing is all of us in Jesus fully mature. And so what, what Paul says in Ephesians 4 is that Jesus has given us all these different manifestations of his spirit to build up the body of Christ until we're fully mature in him, looking, acting, thinking, talking just like him. And he says in verses 15 and 16, Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up every way, in every way into him who is the head, who is Jesus, from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint, that's every single one of us. It, there is, there's no one person in this body that it doesn't matter if you're not here. Every single one of us is needed here, and God is giving himself to us. As we lose our autonomy, he is giving himself to us through each other. Paul says, Joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, 
when each part is working properly, makes the body grow and builds itself up in love. So what's happening is in the family of God, we, we all start out as children. We all start out as spiritually immature. And as we grow in Christ, God puts Paul's and Timothy's and Epaphroditus's in our lives who are more mature than us, who are like moms and dads and uncles and aunts, and they help us mature. And then as we mature, we turn around and, and we pull up the other people behind us. And it's this beautiful picture of this body, Jesus growing all of us and making us like him and growing us up in him. And so I have to give like one filter, one warning here. Um, if you don't know that this is where all this is going, then you're going to be constantly frustrated being a part of this body. And here's what I mean by that. Three things. One, you'll be frustrated that we keep asking you to do things like serve in Kidtown. That's going to keep happening because this is what Paul is saying. Like when, it, when you're fully mature in Christ, it looks like you wanting to run and lay your life down to serve others because of, of Jesus. Two, um, you're going to be frustrated that people keep wanting to get in your business. You're going to be frustrated that people keep asking you to join a group and asking you to spend time together and asking you hard questions that go below the surface. But that's like what this is. Like that's the whole design of this thing. And then finally, you're, you're going to really wonder if God even loves you because he's not answering your prayer for autonomy. A lot of our prayers are thinly veiled requests to make us autonomous. Would you give me what I need so that I never have to come back here again and ask for anything else? And guess what? God's not answering those prayers. And when he doesn't, like, man, God doesn't listen. Prayer doesn't work. Like, no, he's not going to answer your prayer to let you walk off a cliff. He loves you too much for that. So we just have to, to do business with that. But the good news is... Um, you're not really losing anything when you lose your autonomy. What you're losing is a wedding and a marriage to yourself. And we all heard how wonderful that sounds and how life-giving that is. And we've all lived it, right? We've all lived it and continue to live it at different times. And it's not wonderful. It's a prison. When I get everything I want, it means that I am stagnant and I'm not growing and I'm not connecting. I'm not experiencing the love that I was made for. So we don't have to do that anymore in Christ. He's inviting us to give up our autonomy and be married to him and actually get to start living life, actually get to start moving out into this life together with him, this honeymoon, this adventure, into what it is to be married to the one that our hearts were made for. Father, we are so... Uh, Lord, we're so easily tricked into believing that what we want, we're just so easily tricked into believing that we can really trust ourselves above anything else. Father, would you just reveal the foolishness of that? Would you reveal our limits? Would you reveal um, whatever you need to reveal, no matter how painful it is? Because you love us, because you're leading us to life. And Lord, uh, in, in this week, when you give us moments where you are revealing um, our limits to us. Would we not run in shame? Would we not hide away from you?
but we run to you yelling thank you and praising you and asking you to put men and women in our lives who are genuinely concerned about our welfare so that we can experience you loving us through them. And ask this in Jesus' name, amen.